0: Amen. God is good, right? Amen, right? uh, Sometimes I feel like we need to sing ourselves into believing that, right? This is a good way to begin our morning baptisms, commissioning, singing our way into believing that God is good. It's been a good morning. I'm really excited about uh, the things that are going on here at, at Fairlawn, and I'm particularly excited about where we've been in our last couple sermon series. And I want to catch you up to speed a little bit if you're new or if you just haven't been here very often. I want to give you kind of a big picture of what we've been doing and, and where we're heading here over the next couple weeks. As a church, we've really been trying to embrace the commission that God has given to us. Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is the mission that God has called us to as a church. And that's what we need to be practicing. And so by way of some of our sermon series, you'll remember our Advance Out Loud with Words sermon series where we were teaching you how to share the gospel with your friends, family, anybody in your life who is not a believer. We're teaching you the beginning part of that. Go and make disciples. If we're going to make disciples We have to share the gospel with people who don't believe. And now as we work into this discipleship series that we're in, Equip Discipling New Believers, our prayer is that as we are out advancing the gospel, that people will come to faith in Christ. And then what do we do with them? That's the question that we're seeking to answer here in this series. What do we do with those new believers who have come to faith in Christ? We do what Jesus told us to do. We teach them to observe all that he has commanded us. And so when we look at this sermon series here, Equip Discipling New Believers, what we're ultimately seeking to do is continue to walk faithfully in Jesus' great commission to share the gospel, and when people come to faith, to disciple them and teach them how to become disciple-makers themselves. And so for our aim for this series is really twofold. The first is to equip you to grow as a disciple of Jesus. We realize that people are all over the spiritual spectrum here. Uh, There's what 400 some of us in here right now. Everybody is at a different place. Everybody needs to grow in a different way. The first thing we're trying to accomplish is to equip you to be a more faithful follower of Jesus. And the second thing we're seeking to do is to teach you what you need to teach new believers as you are discipling them. So that's the focus of our series here. And I wanted to point this out to you. What we're going to be doing is Dwayne he unfolded the four-chair discipleship philosophy last week in his introduction sermon. Um, and today we're starting five key elements that we believe is essential for every new believer to grasp in order to mature as a disciple. The first is identity. They need to know who God is and who they are. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. They need to learn how to walk. They need to learn how to walk in the power of the Spirit. They need to learn how to talk both to others about Jesus and to God in prayer. They need to learn how to feed themselves. What is the role of the Bible in our spiritual growth? And then they need to learn how to clean themselves. What do I do when I mess up. These five things are the things that we believe are essential for new believers to understand and grasp if they're going to mature. And we have a resource available for you if you want to get into a discipleship relationship one-on-one or in a small group. These little booklets here cover every one of those five areas and are super helpful for a discipleship relationship that you are in. Uh, they're in the library, you can pick one up, pick a set of them up after church uh, suggested donation of $15. And so take a look at those resources as you are seeking to make disciples. Before we jump into the first point here of identity, who God is and who we are, let's go to God in prayer and ask for his help. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is changing and transforming hearts. We see Jeremy and Ellen being baptized today, publicly committing themselves to you, letting the whole world know that they are followers of Jesus. Thank you for Kyle and Grant who are going out on mission, Lord. You are calling people and you are stirring their hearts. And we want to join in with what you're doing. So Lord, as we come this morning to considering our identity as disciples of Jesus? Would you stir our hearts in the way they need to be stirred? Would you help us to see more clearly who you are and who you have made us, that we might walk more faithfully in who you have declared us to be? We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just like a child, the first thing a disciple, a follower of Jesus, needs to know in order to grow is who they are. A child will not grow if they don't have this intimate connection with somebody in their life. Normally, this is their parents. They need to know who that person is and they need to know who they are if they're going to grow and become healthy. Disciples need to know the same thing. They need to know who God is and who they are. They must know what their identity is as a follower of Christ if they're going to grow and become mature. At the most fundamental level, who people believe they are, that is their sense of identity, influences the way they live more than anything else in their life. If you believe that you are a father more than anything else, that's going to influence the way that you live your life. If I believe that before anything else, I am a pastor, that's going to influence more than anything else the way that I live my life, the things that I value, the things that I do and or don't do. And the same is true for followers of Christ. Our commitment to being a disciple of Jesus will only be as faithful and consistent as our sense of God-given identity is deep. If we don't understand who God is and who he has made us, how can we walk consistently with who he has made us to be if we don't understand what or who that is? This means for a disciple to grow, they must know who God is and who they are. If a disciple does not know their own identity, they will stumble through the Christian life with very little growth and kingdom impact. And maybe that's where you find yourself today, stumbling through the Christian life. Because you don't know who God is and you don't know who he has made you. So what we're going to do is we open this up, is we want to see the glory of who God is and who he has made us, that we might walk as disciples and grow and mature, walk more faithfully before him and who he has made us. The Bible is full of metaphors and different identity sources that God gives to his people. So what I'm going to show you here is only scratching the surface. I've chosen three identity markers that God has said we are as his people. And I want to unfold those for you, three that I think are absolutely essential to growth as a disciple. So let's begin with the first one. The first identity marker a disciple needs to grasp in order to grow is that God is their father and they are his children. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John is towards the end of your Bible. 1 John chapter 3. We'll be looking specifically at verse 1. John really opens up to us here and shows us this identity source as who is God? God is our Father and we are His children. And he communicates something very important to us in this verse. Something that every disciple must grasp about God being their Father that will Empower them to grow. And we'll see what that is as we read here. Again, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. This is what John says. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. John unfolds to us that, that God is our Father. As Christians, God is our Father and we are His children. And God, as our Father, gives us something that is essential to our growth. And that is love. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. As John writes this, what he really wants us to do is to stop and consider the greatness of this love that the Father has given to us. The ESV translation is a little weak in getting across John's point here. J.B. Phillips in his paraphrase is a little more satisfying. He says, consider the incredible love that the Father has shown to us. Consider the incredible love. John wants us to focus our eyes on how amazing this love of God is, and he shows us how God demonstrates that love to us. He wants to focus our eyes very pointedly. When I say that God loves you as his child, there's a hundred different places that your mind could go. There's a hundred different ways, thousands of ways, in which God manifests his love to us. John focuses our attention. How does God demonstrate His love to us? See what kind of love the Father has given to us, the demonstration of it, that we should be called children of God. John shows us where this great love of God expresses itself most fully. It is shown in God bringing us into His family, making us sons and daughters of the Father. When Scripture often talks about the love that God has shown to us, what it often does is it contrasts the greatness of God's love with who He has shown it to. We see the greatness of God's love because of the people He shows it to. God's love is so great Because we are so wicked. God's love is so amazing because we are so evil. And yet he still shows his love to us. The Bible says things like, while we were yet sinners, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's showing us how beautiful the love of God is based on who he's showing it to. Now consider this. Consider what John is saying. Let's think about the greatness of the love of God for a moment, not only in saving us, but in bringing us into his family. Have you thought recently about how incredible the love of God is? When I think about that, and I think about the way that that the Bible elevates God's love in relation to who he shows it to, I often think about this, this uh, illustration. Consider for a moment that you're at home with your uh, wife, a beautiful wife, two beautiful children, and a robber comes into your home. Um, obviously, you're not prepared for it. And you get into an altercation with him, and the altercation ends very poorly. Uh, what ends up happening is one of your children ends up being killed, and your wife as well. So you are left with yourself and one of your children when it's all said and done. And months later, you're in court hearings having to go and testify against this man who killed your family, at least most of it. And you look at this man as you're testifying against him and he's, he's, going, to get, he's going to get the death punishment. And you say to this man and you say to the judge, Judge, I want to Give my the one child that I have left. I I want to give my child for this man. I want my child to take the death penalty for this man. We don't have a category to think about how astonishing that love is, right? That is otherworldly type of love. I'm going to give my child so that this man can go free. But that's not the depth of love that John is talking about here. The depth of love that John is talking about here is not only giving your son to set this man free. When this man becomes free, you say, come, join my family. You're my son or daughter. The reality is, is that we have done far worse to God than this robber had done to us. Infinitely worse. And yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God says, come into my family, son, daughter. When John calls us to ponder the greatness of the love of God, he roots it in God's action of adopting us into his family. It seems as though John is saying that our adoption is the apex of God's love for us. And indeed, I fully believe that it is. This love that God communicates to us through our family relationship with Him, through Him bringing us into uh, His family, is essential to our maturity as disciples, and is essential for those who you are discipling to understand. Now, how does this love of God that has been shown to us help us grow as disciples and to mature? Well, very simply, God's fatherly love towards us enables us to trust him. Think about this for a moment. A child who is not loved by his father or mother will grow more and more unwilling to entrust himself to his parents. Is that not true? Why would you entrust yourself to somebody who you know does not love you? Who you know does not have your best interests at heart? This is the same with disciples if they are unaware of God's fatherly love for them, their identity as children, they will not grow in entrusting themselves to God. Put in a positive way, a preacher from the 1800s, Octavius Winslow, says it this way, a believing comprehension of the great love with which God loves his saints lies at the root of all holy, filial, and unreserved obedience. The disciple who is firmly rooted in the love of his heavenly father is able without reserve to entrust his entire life to God. And that's what becoming a greater disciple of Jesus looks like. It's the process of us continuing to entrust ourselves more and more to God. And we only do this by growing in an understanding and an experience of the great love with which he loved us. So Christian, are you living in the identity as a child of the Father? Are you living consistently with who God has said that you are? Do you walk daily in this love? Are you more and more each and every day entrusting yourself more and more To him. If not, we're failing to grasp this source of identity that God has given to us, and it will stunt our growth as disciples. So, in order for a disciple to grow in their trust of God, they must know that He is their Father, and that they are His child, and that He deeply loves us. This is the first identity marker that a disciple must grasp in order to grow. And the second one that a disciple needs to understand and grasp is that we are the bride of Christ and he is our groom. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. If you have a bulletin uh, insert there, it actually says Ephesians 6. That was my mistake. Uh, flip to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at verses 22 through 27. We must begin first by seeing who Jesus is. And we'll look at this in verses 25 through 27. Here Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now here Paul speaks about how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And what we need to focus on is how Christ loved the church and what he is seeking to produce in the church. First it says that Christ loved the church with a sacrificial love. It says that he gave himself up For her, but he gave himself up for her to an end, to produce something in her. Christ gave himself up for his bride so that he might sanctify her, cleanse her, to present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus died for his bride, the church, Christians so that he might present us to himself without blemish. We get a beautiful picture of this in the wedding ceremony, do we not? How many of you have been to a wedding recently? Nobody's getting married around here or what? You know that the bride gets herself ready, right? The groom is standing here at the front. The bride just makes sure that everything is perfect. She gets her beautiful spotless gown on, and then we see... come and present herself to her groom as she walks in the back and proceeds to him up the aisle. This is what Christ is seeking to create in us. He is a sanctifying groom, a groom that is seeking to purify us that on that great day when he returns, he might present us to himself. Blemish free, spotless, holy, without blemish. Jesus is our sanctifying groom. So, understanding that we have this identity source as the bride of a sanctifying groom, how should we respond to the leading of our groom? If he is seeking to lead us into holiness, if he is seeking to lead us into purity, if he is seeking to sanctify us, how should we as his bride respond? Paul tells us in verses 22 through 24, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now listen. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Here Paul tells us what our response should be to the leading of our groom. We should submit ourselves to his sanctifying Leading, allowing him to change and transform us, to cleanse us, to make us holy and without blemish. The believer's identity as the bride of Christ should produce in us a desire to submit to the will of our groom. Now, a believer as a disciple should be seeking to submit the entirety of their life to the will of God. But this identity source, as we as a bride and Christ as our sanctifying groom, creates within us a specific type of submission. As the bride of Christ, we should submit to his leading us into purity and holiness. As a bride, we should be concerned about our fidelity to our groom, whether we are being faithful to him or not. We should be vigilant over our lives, ensuring that our hearts do not become enthralled with other loves and lovers. We should submit to our groom as he seeks to cleanse and sanctify us from our sin. In Revelation 19, when we see that beautiful marriage ceremony, when the Lamb of God presents his bride, the church, to himself, We get a beautiful picture and vivid language of this submission of the church to the leading of the groom. I'm just going to read it for you guys. No need to turn there. Revelation 19, verses 6 through 8. Listen to this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Did you notice what the bride, the church, us, was dressed in? Fine linen, bright and pure. And what did that represent? The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. We are seeking to submit to the leading of our groom. And as we submit to him, he is purifying us, cleansing us of our sin and clothing us in deeds of righteousness that we might be presented to him without blemish on that great day. Our role in this process is to submit to his leading by putting to death our sin and seeking to pursue a life of righteousness. So the question that comes to us is how well are we submitting to the leading of our groom? As disciples of Jesus, as brides of the groom, how well are we submitting? Are we putting away idolatry? Are we seeking to walk in purity and holiness Or are we chasing after loves and lovers? This source of identity is extremely important to a new believer because they need to know that Christ is leading them to something, leading them to holiness, and that it is their role to submit. Just as seeing our identity as children of God empowers us to trust our Father, so too our identity as the bride of Christ calls us to pursue holiness through submission to our groom. If we're going to grow in holiness as disciples of Jesus, we must understand that we are his bride and he is our sanctifying groom. The third and final identity marker that a disciple, a new believer, must understand in order to mature is that they are members of the body of Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul here opens up for us the metaphor and identity marker of Christ as the body and Christians as members of the body. Beginning here in verse 12 and 13, Paul tells us what Christ's role is as the body and what he's seeking to accomplish in us. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Now here, Paul utilizes the metaphor of a physical body to help us visualize another aspect of our identity as disciples. He tells us that our physical body is made up of many parts, which is very obvious if you just look at your neighbor, right? It's made up of many parts, but all together it forms one body. And what Paul is saying here, so it is with Christ. So it is with your spiritual life. We as believers are members of the spiritual body of Christ. Paul is making this very clear that the church is the body of Christ and we as his people are members of it. And Paul unfolds, as he unfolds this metaphor, of the church as the body of Christ, he directs our attention to what Christ is seeking to produce in us. Unity. Look again at verse 13. He says, For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. We see this reality when we notice the repetition In the midst of the differences that we have, we are brought together in unity in one body. As individual members being brought into the body of Christ, Christ desires us to walk and live in unity with one another. And the way that Christ goes about unifying his people into one body is by telling them that part of their identity is to be connected to the body, that you are a member of it. As we continue on here, we see what the outcome of that should be in our lives. With the Christian's identity being a member of the body of Christ and Christ seeking to unify us together, how does this identity marker call us to live as disciples? Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. body Paul shows us here that our responsibility as a member of the body of Christ is that we use the unique ways in which we are gifted to serve the body that we live connected to other members of the body Paul shows us this by pointing out the obvious distinction in the members of our physical bodies if the whole body were an eye where would be the sense of hearing If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Paul is telling us that each member of the body serves a specific and important role in the overall function of the body of Christ. What is amazing to me is that there's a prevalent mindset in our culture. Two, actually. One is that connection to the church as a Christian is optional. And the other is that I can come to church and simply be a consumer. I can come to church and simply receive rather than give. Now, what I want to do for just a moment is to show the foolishness of those two things by applying the physical body metaphor to it. Let's think about this in relation to our physical bodies. Those who believe that the church is optional is like our eye Just popping out of our body and going about life by itself. Just seeing an eye just kind of rolling down the road. Spiritually, that's what these people are saying. I'm a member of the body, but I don't need the rest of the body. It doesn't work, does it? The foolishness of it begins to become seen when we apply that body metaphor to what they're saying. It would be comparable to seeing a leg just flopping along through life. But yet people live their Christian or spiritual life this way, just flopping along. What about those who believe they can come to church and simply be a consumer? Those who believe that are like your arm refusing to move or your eye refusing to open. How difficult would it be for your body to function if you woke up in the morning and your leg refused to move? It would be very difficult. Now, what would happen, what would you do if you woke up in the morning and your arm refused to move and your ears refused to hear? Would you be like, this is just a a normal part of life? No, you wouldn't you would say, I need to go to the emergency room because something is terribly wrong with my body. But yet when we apply this to our spiritual lives, we just think it's okay. We don't call the squad. We just think it's okay. I can just go to church and be a consumer and yet as we do that, we are that member of the body that is refusing to use what God has given them. Failing to value and serve in the church is refusing your God-given identity as a member of it. As disciples, we are members of the body of Christ and this sense of identity should propel us into selfless service in the body of Christ. So looking at this on the whole, as we bring this to a close, if a disciple of Jesus is going to grow, They must know that they are loved by their heavenly father, that they are his children. They must know that they are wed to a sanctifying savior. And they must know and embrace that they are members of one body. And when we look at this, we understand that this is the key to a new believer's growth. They need to be able to entrust themselves to God. They need to understand that Christ is seeking to purify them and they need to understand that they must be connected to the body. And as they realize these three things, they will grow. So let me conclude by simply asking us some questions. Are you growing? Are you walking consistently with who you are in Christ? Are you embracing your identity as a child of God by resting in Him daily, by entrusting yourself to Him in all of those areas that you're afraid to give to Him? You should not be afraid to give those to Him because He loves you with a perfect love. Are you embracing your identity as a bride of Jesus by submitting to His sanctifying purposes? Are you seeking to kill sin and to throw away those other lovers? Are you seeking to take all those idols that you love so much and burn them? Are you embracing your identity as a member of the body of Christ by committing yourself to selfless service in the church? Refusing to be an unfunctioning member of the body. Lastly are you walking with someone else who needs to grow just like you do One of the things that I heard last week as we did our corporate ABF and as people shared about other people who had discipled them in their lives I heard some comments from some people saying I don't feel like I'm I don't feel like I'm mature enough to disciple somebody else We grow together We grow together Nobody's perfectly mature. You can disciple somebody right where you are and you guys can grow together. Are you discipling someone else? Let's pray and ask God to work in our hearts that we might embrace our identity more fully and that we might walk with others and help them to grow as well. Father, we thank you again for this morning and the beautiful time of praising and singing your name proclaiming the gospel of what Jesus has done and hearing about who he has made us we are so grateful for you giving us this rich sense of identity and who we are lord we so often live unconsistently with that would you help us to grow would your spirit be working in us convicting us of the areas where we need to grow And Lord, would you lay those people on our hearts who we know we need to begin to disciple and to share the gospel with, that we as a church might embrace this mission that you have called us to. We know that we can't do it without your power, and so we ask that you would come and give us the strength. pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.